Halloween is just around the corner, and I dove deep into the many Lois appeals to find the perfect spooky story. There were many contenders, but one stood out to me, and the only reason why it stood out was because of how it was written. It was as if Stephen King penned a legal document, but it was written by Christopher J. Major. Today we'll be talking with Chris about a case with ghoulish parties, phantom arguments, and a bone-chilling ending. From Lois Law Firm in Paramus, New Jersey, I'm Addison O'Donnell, and this is First Draft. Mr. Major. Oh, no. I'm going to be on your podcast, aren't I? You guessed it. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm here to talk about your case, Mario Newhouse. Yeah, um, so before we dive into this one, just bear in mind that my last day doing purely New York workers' comp was October 15th, 2019, so we're at about the two-year mark here. Uh, going back over two years, so just keep that in mind. Well, I, I read your summations, which is a time machine in and of itself, and I thought that it would be an appropriate one to talk about. Halloween is just around the corner. Yeah, well, speaking of that, I, I don't think you could have picked a more uh, apt case here because uh, it continues to uh, frequently haunt my nightmares. <laughs> so, so, first of all, what was Mr. Newhouse's profession? So, for, for lack of a better phrase, uh, I would classify him as a home health aide. And, and from what I gather, he was alleging a total loss of use of the arm. Yeah, well, b- before we get to the arm, uh, we're going to have to rewind a bit before that. Everyone was acutely aware of our very small chance of prevailing on this case. Uh, I mean, we denied it basically um, hoping that something would come up that would be favorable and would give us a colorable chance of prevailing. Uh, In essence, we tossed the Hail Mary, um, all because uh, this gentleman initially alleges a pinky injury. A pinky injury? What? Yeah, a, uh, a, a pinky injury. So what he alleged is he caught his pinky in the door. Uh, It was witnessed. Everyone saw it. Uh, Totally happened in the course of employment. The employer was totally notified of it. Um, The claimant, uh, Mario Newhouse, eventually goes to see a doctor weeks later. Um, But the doctor said that, you know, this uh, pinky caught in the door jam uh, had turned into a hand infection. So wait. He, he initially alleged a pinky injury, then went to a doctor weeks later, discovered that he had a hand infection, and then filed a workers' comp claim for loss of the arm. Uh, you're, you're quite close, but um, it was actually uh, worse than that. Oh, oh, my. Yeah, so... Um, we get an IME that actually ends up diagnosing the wrong hand and the wrong finger. Oh, no. 
But then he went to the hospital for the pain in his hand. And when he went there, it turns out that he had gangrene in the hand and that it was extending up the arm. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, it wasn't it wasn't good. So turned out that uh, the arm was hacked off. Uh, he amended his claim uh, because he initially loses his pinky, then he loses his hand, then he loses his arm, uh, all because uh, at least he alleged. It's all because he closed his pinky in the door jam? See, this is, this is the problem. Uh, we had all of these hospital doctors that said it was related. And as I just mentioned, we had this bad IME that diagnosed uh, wrong finger, wrong hand. It was horrible. And, you know, as I mentioned previously, we, we're, we're conceding the issues of accident and notice. Uh, but think about it in terms of common sense. There's no way that someone could lose a limb because of slamming a finger into the door. It's preposterous, or at least that's uh, what we were going to hang our hat on. So I went to the law judge and requested to cross-examine every doctor that he saw, every name that popped up in the board file. And uh, I subpoenaed everyone. Uh, Under the CPLR, if a subpoenaed witness does not appear twice after being timely and duly subpoenaed, um, the witness's evidence is precluded from consideration. Uh, All of this is to say that we had to cross-examine the hospital physicians. Um, Now, throughout all of this, uh, our adversary continued to make allegations. Uh, The doctors were not properly served because they were represented by a a law firm, Uh, but then some of the doctors were represented by a different law firm from the one that he was alleging represented the first doctors, Uh, and then some of them didn't get the subpoena, and then a judge had to so order the subpoena because the hospital was a state entity. All of it was just baloney. Uh, I just wanted to get down to the bottom of this more than anything else. And was there a doctor who signed off on the fact that the pinky injury led to complete amputation of the arm? No. So there were reports that indeed suggested it, but this is why we cross-examined the doctors to develop the record. So you expected to lose? 100%. But Uh, This was primarily an exercise of leaving no stone unturned. We had to stop the bleeding in this case under any circumstance, Uh, especially when the exposure on this is potentially catastrophic. I mean, you go from uh, stubbing your pinky in a door jam to losing that pinky to losing that hand to losing the entire arm. Yeah, and and here's the real rub of the law. Uh, Even if our accident contributed 0.00001% to this guy's injuries, we're on the hook, right? It's the whole eggshell plaintiff concept from uh, Law School 101. Boom, that's it. So did the door jam injury contribute to the amputation is the question. Well, the claimant was put to proofs. Our adversary had to prove everything. Of course, and... In my opinion, at the end of the day, more so than anything else, this was a masterclass of weaponizing civil procedure. Uh, The the claimant had to produce every single one of these doctors, and only one of their doctors appeared. So I asked whether she gave us all of the records, a standard question, right? Uh, And she said, no, she didn't. It was was ludicrous. And she only saw the claimant exactly, uh, drum roll please, once. Well, there was one portion that was particularly interesting. You asked, 
Doctor, is it fair to say that you cannot state definitively whether the claimant had a left fifth finger pinky injury? <laughs> yeah, and um, going back over the summations and uh, the death transcripts, the, one of my favorite lines, uh, and I quote, I certainly would not be sure. That was her answer. Then I went in. I asked standard generic questions. I asked her about review of the notes and the record. Uh, and she didn't know how the injury happened in the first place. And this does not happen if there was a dishonest or belligerent doctor attending the deposition. I have to be perfectly clear about that. Um, she was a bit confused as to why she was there at all. Uh, she was an internist who was on the hospital staff who probably never had to do one of these before and, you know, in, in all honesty, is actually doing the right thing by appearing and answering honestly. Well, I, I want to mention one last thing. This deposition occurred in the fall and the amputation occurred in the spring prior. And you ask, doctor, did the claimant undergo any surgical procedures at all? And she said... No, sir. <laughs> so now on to the other ones. After that deposition, it was alleged by our adversary that the other doctors at the hospital retained a third-party law firm and that they were scared by all of this. Our adversary then makes an argument in front of the board that we didn't subpoena their third-party counsel properly. We then reached out to the alleged third-party law firm uh, who, get this, told us they didn't even represent the doctors. Completely, completely frivolous. Yes. And so we completed our summations to the judge, and we argued that the claimant could not meet the bare minimum burden of getting the doctors on the phone to be deposed, which, as you know, it is the claimant's burden to do. Well, I want to note that the structure here is elegant. You first have a request for preclusion. Then you go into the facts and procedural history, the legal argument, and a reiteration of the prayer for relief. It is masterful. And when you, you're referring to that elegant structure, uh, I assume you're, you're referencing the summation. And, and might I add, with regard to our IME, that the misdiagnosis was a typographical error. Uh, it was, in a word, stretching it. So, how did you feel when writing this? Well, this is the juncture at which leave no stone unturned uh, turns into embarrass your adversary. Uh, now, everyone's going to tell you all along your legal career, starting with your professors at the, your first year of law school, you can't take these things personally, right? Uh, everyone, at the end of the day, is just doing, doing their job, and when you punch out, you just have to leave it on the table and, and go home. Um, but over the course of this case, I lined up all of these doctors and knocked them all down one by one. And in the back of my mind, when our adversary is making these frivolous arguments, I want to raise it all to the ground. Uh, scorched earth. I mean, Rome has not seen this level of burning. So given all of that passion, in your writing process, how did you organize your thoughts? I think the key here is that the, the point headings direct where the content is ultimately going to go. Uh, I think the way I went about this, uh, and any time that you're faced with a procedural history and an argument based on timing and deadlines, um, in my opinion, the only way to do it properly is chronologically. 
on date one, this happened. On date two, that happened. On date three, this happened. Uh, you get the point. So say there's a green attorney who read this case. What advice would you impart with that attorney? Uh, well, Mr. O'Donnell, as, as you and um, every uh, poor person who's had the misfortune to sit through the many podcasts and webinars that Lois Law Firm well knows, uh, <laughs> I can be an overly verbose person at times. Um, this argument easily, easily could have been less than 12 pages. Um, to me, however, who, you know, had taken an admittedly somewhat misguided personal stake in the outcome, uh, the length was justified to a certain extent because I had to call out our adversary for making stuff up. I mean, I always ask two questions. What is your theme and what is your theory? Uh, and this, you know, comes from law school professors once again. Slap a paper up on a board as to what the theme and theory are at the outset of your case. And everything you do, every step of the way, is adhering to that theme and that theory. And then, boom, at the conclusion of it all, you have a comprehensive argument. So, let's talk about theme and theory in this case here. Right. So, at the start of this, we had concessions which left us with one and one argument and one argument only. The issue of medical causation, right? We conceded accident, we conceded notice, ANCR, that just leaves us with CR. Uh, but we have an inept IME. They have four doctors. Uh, so the theme and theory of this case is that by the time that this is done, you are left with nothing but our inept IME. So know where you're going and stick to it. So the decision comes out. And the first sentence of what the issue is, how it's framed, how the judge framed the issue, it's almost the same issue that you have identified. It goes through all of the testimonies, the fact that the claimant's doctors didn't appear, and that our IME had a typo. I mean, this is gold. Yeah, the, the claim is disallowed. The IME was found to be credible. Uh, the claimant's physicians were all precluded one by one. And uh, therefore, based on this um, IME that had some defects out of the gate, the pinky, hand, and arm were all unrelated. So do you have any final thoughts on this case? Yeah. Um, it, in leaving no stone unturned, um, my, my final thought would be uh, always be prepared to also argue in the alternative. You know, it, it, at any point during this case, there's, there's multiple weak links in the chain. There's multiple uh, possible instances of, of failure where things can go wrong based on concessions, based on a defective IME, based on failure to adhere to proper civil procedure. And so when you're organizing your thoughts chronologically in this summation, um, be prepared to argue in the alternative. Know that if this argument doesn't work, I'm still going to hang my hat on this next one and articulate it in a fashion that is an alternative argument and not a concession. Take no prisoners. Well, Chris, it was great to talk to you about this one. This story was haunting indeed. And thank you for helping me understand better how you completed your first draft. And thank you for having me. Bye. been thinking a lot about Chris's story 
and what it means to leave no stone unturned. In writing, there are many opportunities to dive into the facts. What is your theme, and what is your theory? Always adhere to those core principles. And what will result is a captivating and ghostly tale. Thanks for listening. Until next time, good luck on your first draft.